Welcome to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ, located in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman, and these podcasts are taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. We pray that they will bless you, and we would love for you to come visit us and make our church home, hopefully, become your church home. Here's what we have for today. Illuminate our hearts, O living God, with the pure light of your divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our mind to the understanding of your gospel teachings. Implant in us also a fear of your blessed commandments, that trampling down all carnal desires may enter upon a spiritual manner of living, doing and thinking such things that are pleasing unto you. For you are the illumination of our souls and bodies, Christ our God, and we give you glory together with the Father who is from everlasting, and your all-holy good and life-creating spirit. Amen. So, last week, we looked at all three readings from Isaiah, Luke, and 1 Corinthians. We saw a common thread running through them of encounter and commission. Isaiah had a vision of the throne of God while in the temple, and he was instantly made aware of his unclean lips. Peter grudgingly listened to Jesus after he he was instructed to lower the nets again, after he had been out fishing all night with nothing to show for it. There's a massive catch, and Peter tells Jesus to leave because Peter is a sinful man. Paul writes to the Corinthian church and calls himself the least of the apostles because he persecuted the church. All three men had an encounter with God, and all three men had their sins forgiven and commissioned to the ministry. And so, like them, whatever sin we think is blocking us from serving God is not only forgivable and redeemable, but but becomes part of our story as we follow in our commission that we have been given by God. Now, today's readings, with all of that in mind, commission and encounter, we have a very interesting picture. What I'm going to do is, uh, the, 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 the call to worship was from, was from Psalm 1. Uh, we just heard uh, the Old Testament reading was from uh, the book of Jeremiah. So I'm going to contrast and compare a little bit between Psalm 1 and Jeremiah 17. But we'll start with Jeremiah 17 first. So there's a state that I think is one of the most beautiful states in the United States, but I've never been there. I've only seen it in pictures. It's got beautiful mountains. It has lots of wildlife. It's, uh, if you're an outdoorsy type of person, which I always wish I could be, <laughs> or could be more outdoorsy than I am, um, it's one of those states where I've, I've always wanted to kind of go and, and spend some time and, and, and improve my hiking and, and camping abilities, which, which I, I get done here, but it's harder once you have a kid, right, to, to go hiking and, and camping. But there's a place in Utah in the midst of all of this life called the Bonneville Salt Flats. Has anybody ever heard of the Bonneville Salt Flats? Now, some of you people who are really into cars will know exactly what the Bonneville Salt Flats are. Right? The Bonneville Salt Flats is the place where you go to try out and break land speed records because it's flat, it's straight, it's huge, and every year there's speed festivals where people go out and try to push the envelope of how fast their, their cars can go. But the Salt Flats, they're formed about 14,500 years ago to 16,000 years ago when Lake Bonneville evaporated and left these massive salt deposits behind, creating this large, flat plain. It's a harsh environment. It's about 30,000 acres, and it is dry, and it is parched and lifeless. On the outskirts of the flats, there's some, uh, there's some small wet areas where there's plants 
and, and some water, pools of water, but it's largely a desolate, dry place. Vegetation doesn't really grow there due to the salt content, the, the salt crust. And if somebody <laughs> decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to the Bonneville Salt Flats and I'm going to sow a crop. They're not going to re, uh, reap a harvest, right? It's not the kind of place you go to to plant your crops. It's a place you go to to drive really, really fast. Pictures of it show a stark, white, cracked landscape stretching out in all directions. And when it was first discovered, people would actually go around it instead of trying to walk through it. Now, I say this, brothers and sisters, because the reading today from Jeremiah 17 and Psalm 1, they both have some wonderful degrees of similarity. And Jeremiah uses this very vivid imagery of the wicked man compared with the positive image of the righteous man we'll see in, in Psalm 1. And the reason why I mention the salt flats is because Jeremiah says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt Land And that last bit about the salt land brought out that image for me of the salt flats at Bonneville, right? This area that was once a lake teeming with life and fish and plants, all of that good stuff. It's now dry and desolate. And it doesn't happen overnight, right? Lake Bonneville didn't just instantly evaporate and all of a sudden you're left with these salt flats. No, brothers and sisters, it took thousands upon thousands of years for this to happen. And people who do not trust in the Lord, who trust in themselves, in their own strength, who rely on their own hearts, they have been turned away. They are like shrubs in the desert, Shrubs in the desert live on very little water. They do not grow. They do not thrive like well-watered plants. They don't give fruit for harvesting. They may provide a little bit of shade for small animals, but tenaciously cling to life, existing for the sake of existing. People like this dwell alone with no life-giving water, providing no life-sustaining fruit, and exist only for themselves. They are parched shrubs, useless and arid. We also need to remember the context for Jeremiah's words here. He prophesies throughout the book about the coming of the Babylonians. And the kings, except for Josiah, they did not trust in God, but trusted in their own strength and experienced dwelling in the parched land of the Babylonian captivity. And like our forefathers and our foremothers, Adam and Eve, we left to our own devices. We are the ones who have also turned from the Lord We have trust in our own goodness, in our own strength, in our own judgment, and we have fallen prey to and have been enslaved by sin and death, our parched land from which no one can return without divine grace. Our hearts are, as Jeremiah said, deceitful above all things. And since this is the case, only the Lord who searches our hearts can heal them. And we don't find ourselves, we don't just wake up one day, right, and we say, you know, I'm going to trust in myself today, right? This is a process, brothers and sisters, like the amount of time it takes for the salt flats to be formed. Turning away from God isn't just, we don't just wake up one day and say, I'm done. I'm done with you, God. That's it. We're good. You and me, we're through. No, it's usually over a period of time. Circumstances, bad clergy, mean people, stuff like whatever it is, personal sin, temptation, all of these things slowly over time can turn our hearts away from the Lord. Then in Psalm 1, 
we hear the, about the righteous man. So when I was younger, my Nana, a blessed memory, she gave me a collection of books in paperback by J.R.R. Tolkien. She gave me The Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings. And some of you are thinking here, oh no, here we go. He's going to start quoting Elvish at us. No, I'm not going to do that. Don't worry. I can't pronounce it. It's too hard. When I first got those books, or else I would, totally. I'd be preaching the service in, in Elvish if I could. No, I'm, I'm not that big of a fan. But I'm a big fan. I didn't read them right away. They sat in my closet for a long time until one day I looked at the package art, and I was like, you know what? This looks pretty cool. I'm going to start, start reading these. And I did, and I've been hooked ever since. Tolkien drawing on his deep Roman Catholic faith, his education, his wartime experiences, and his peerless imagination created a world, though different from our own, seems lived in, real, and familiar. Many people have spent hours upon hours of their time not only reading the books, but learning the languages. People have spent hour upon hour creating costumes and weapons and armor inspired by the books. I remember when I went to go see uh, the, the, the Two Towers and then the Return of the King when they came out in the theaters. I remember being in line at the midnight show for Return of the King and I was standing there in line and all around me people were dressed up in costume. I mean, this wasn't even like a comic convention or a movie convention where there's like tons of people doing that. It was the movie theater at Universal Studios at CityWalk. People are standing there dressed like hobbits. They had the clothes. People there dressed like elves. They had little ears on because they loved it so much. They delighted in it so much. It became an important part of their lives and a major chunk of their lives is spent participating in this because it brings them delight and it brings them joy. And brothers and sisters, what we delight in is the things that we spend time doing. We make time for the things that delight us, that bring us joy, whether they be Middle Earth, creating detailed costumes, or watching football, or playing video games, or binging shows on TV, whatever we make the time for the most, whatever brings us the most delight, we form our lives around that. Now, keep that in mind as we look at Psalm 1. Notice the threefold action here of Psalm 1 of walking, sitting, and standing. There's a Hebrew professor and Hebrew, he's, he's just actually finished a translation of the Hebrew Bible, which I'd love to pick up, named Robert Alter. He says this, walking on a way is a traditional metaphor for pursuing a set of moral choices in life, right? So the blessed man or the righteous man or the blessed person or the righteous person is the person who does not pursue a sequence of immoral and wicked activities of wrong choices. There's a sequence here that indicates a deepening participation in wickedness. Walking is beginning to proceed down the path, heeding the counsel of the wicked. And why would someone listen to the counsel of the wicked? Because they become arid and isolated, that the bits of chaff that the wind sweeps away. Then standing, standing in the way of sinners is participating with sinners in their sin, violating the law of God that is supposed to be delightful. Sitting here indicates full immersion into wickedness as one is now seated with the scoffers. The scoffer or the mocker derides not only their fellow man, but also derides and scoffs against the law of God. We see this, unfortunately, in our society all the time, scoffing and mocking the law of God, even by clergy. Even by clergy. 
but I won't talk about that in this sermon because <laughs> I'm recording this. So we have this progression here from beginning to end, and we see how beginning on the way of sin leads to ignorant mockery of the God who calls us to salvation and whose law is to be a delight. However, the person who does not walk, sit, or stand with the wicked will not be a parched shrub. They will be a planted tree. So the righteous are those who delight in God's law. The blessed person, the righteous man or the righteous woman, delights in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They delight in us more than anything else, day and night. This is central to them. This is central to who they are. They're thinking about the law of the Lord. They're praying the law of the Lord. They're speaking about it. They're talking about it. They're figuring out how do I use this? How do I live my life according to the law of God? And because they delight in the Lord, they are like trees planted by the streams of water. They bear fruit in this right season. They don't wither and they don't die because they have not cut themselves off from the source of life which is what sin does. Because they are planted, when the winds come, they cannot be blown away. Chaff are the bits of the heads of the grain that have been separated by sifting. They do not have root in anything, and therefore, as a result, are blown all over the place when separated. But the righteous are planted trees by the rivers, connected to God, fruitful in good works, and fruitful in love. And so, brothers and sisters, there's a deeper lesson here than just us learning to delight in God above all else, right? Because we can leave it there and say, now go home and do likewise, right? It's all of your responsibility. You need to delight in God more than anything else. And uh, go home. Peace be with you. (laughs) Here's a burden for you that you can't possibly uh, live up to as you leave. Bye-bye. Thanks for coming. No, brothers and sisters, fortunately, there's a little bit more to this. There's a deeper lesson here than just learning to delight in God above all else. St. Augustine, in his commentary on the Psalms, after reading the first line of Psalm 1, blessed is the man, he said this, this is to be understood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's correct to make this connection. This is why when we did the reading, we said blessed is the man, right? Because if when we change it from blessed is the man to blessed is the person or blessed is the one with the reading, we lose a little bit of what's going on here in the text. Blessed is the man, because Christ, Jesus Christ, is the man, right? He is the man. And we connect that to him. This is to be understood of our Lord Jesus Christ, Augustine said. All too often, we want to see ourselves in the positive when we read Scripture. But ultimately, the blessed or righteous man here is not you or I, or the blessed and righteous person isn't you or I. It's Jesus Christ, We are the ones who have walked in the counsel of the wicked. We are the ones who have stood with the sinners. We are the ones who have sat and become the scoffers and the mockers. But Jesus is the righteous one. He is the one planted by the streams of water. He is the one that bears the fruit whose leaf does not wither. And when we turn to him in repentance and in faith, he removes us from walking with the wicked. He takes us out from standing with the sinners And he removes us from sitting with the mockers. Christ is the one who plants us by the streams of water, right? The streams of living water that Jesus said would flow from us, right? Jesus plants us then as we turn to him in repentance and in faith and in trust and in love, which is what faith is. We are then planted by the streams with him. And the Holy Spirit, right? 
stream of living water feeds our roots, right? Our roots can go down deep. Our roots can drink deeply of the water of the Spirit, and we will flourish, and we will grow, and we will bear fruit, and we will be God's love in word and indeed embodied for all. But not so, brothers and sisters, in the parched land. There's no place for the roots to go. Depth of roots, it doesn't matter, and it's impossible to have it because there's no supply. There's no water. But when we are planted by the streams of living water, then our roots can go down and drink deep. And he plants us there, brothers and sisters. He is the one who does that work that he begins in us. And he will see it through to completion. The Holy Spirit lives in us and regenerates us and revives us and heals us. And it it is in this that we delight day and night. We delight in who Christ is. We delight in what Christ has done for us. We delight in being taken out of the kingdom of darkness and being brought into the kingdom of God's Son from darkness to light. We delight in that. That means it shapes who we are. It means how it, it shapes how we talk to each other. It even shapes how we talk to one another on the internet. That's a big one for me. I can't stand some interaction that happens online. <laughs> but that shapes how we are supposed to be even online. It shapes how we are at work. It shapes our lives and how we make decisions, what we spend our money on, what we allow into our homes. When, when Jesus Christ is our delight and his saving works become our delight, then we are planted and strong, vivified, and renewed constantly by the flowing streams of the Holy Spirit. And so let us learn to treasure Christ above all, what Christ has done for us, because it is only in Him and it is only through Him that we ourselves can become the righteous man or the righteous woman that God is asking us to be and that God has provided a way for us to become. To our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, be all glory together with His Father who is from everlasting and is all holy, good, and life-giving Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. If these sermons have been a blessing to you, I ask that you take a few minutes and help us if you could. We've recently begun fundraising efforts for some repairs that our building really, really needs. If you could, go to our Facebook page, Zion Stone United Church of Christ, or our website, zionstoneucc.com. You'll see a link to a fundraising page we've set up at GoFundMe, which I'll include in the description of this episode and all episodes moving forward. GoFundMe.com slash SaveZionStoneUCC. If you could help us out, we would greatly appreciate it. Also, please keep us in prayer as we go through this fundraising process. You can also, please, if you have some time, rate us on iTunes, and you can also find this podcast on Spotify as well. Thank you so much for listening, and God bless you.